Our scripture for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for, what, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we come and we gather here this morning in, uh, in honor of who you are, the greatness of who you are, the, the amazing creator God that you are, Lord. There's no way we could ever give you enough praise and honor and adoration for, for all the things that you do. But most of all, Lord, for this season that we're in now that we get to, to celebrate and uh, remember even more specifically the tremendous gift that you gave in your son, Jesus. There's absolutely no way we could ever thank you, praise you, glorify you, uh, exalt you enough for that tremendous gift. And Lord, I just pray that now as we as we are in this season, Lord, that our hearts would be turned towards you. And, Lord, towards this uh, beautiful, gracious gift that you gave of Jesus to us to, to save us from our sins, as the scriptures just said that we read. That you will save us from our sins, Lord. Our greatest plight, our greatest problem that we could ever have that we can't do anything about, Lord, you fixed it through Jesus. I pray that everybody here this morning, Lord, will will believe in that name, will trust in that name, does trust in that name, Lord. And then, Lord, I also pray that you would uh, work in our hearts, turn our hearts towards you, turn our hearts toward the, the season that we're in, and the fact that it is better to give than to receive, because you gave the greatest thing you ever had to us, Lord, and help us just turn that around as well, and be great examples of that in the world around us, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we do, in fact, love this time of the year, right? We love uh, Christmas. We love this season. There's just something very special, very unique about this time of the year. There's something about watching a Charlie Brown Christmas. It fills us with the warm and fuzzy. There's something about listening and hearing all the Christmas music and being surrounded by all the, the Christmas carols. There's something about putting up the Christmas tree and putting down the eggnog. There's something about all the Christmas lights in our homes and around our neighborhoods as we're driving around seeing all that. I mean, this season is just a big old warm and fuzzy, right? Isn't it? It makes us feel good. It, we enjoy this time of the year, and it, it's festive. It's genuinely festive, and it's a big old group hug. Like, there's extra parties and people getting together, and there's more family time, and friends are coming together. It's just a good time of the year, and we love Christmas, and largely because of how it makes us feel, right? We love this, this, feeling, uh, this feeling of nostalgia and sentiment, that the t this time of the year does, in fact, fill, fill us with quite a bit. We love the feel of Christmas. And if you doubt that, just think about when we begin the Christmas season. But we keep backing it up more and more. We love the feeling of Christmas and the, the season of the year so much that we keep backing up when it starts. It used to be that you wouldn't hear or see anything Christmas-related till after Thanksgiving. Now, Halloween is over, and the next day, Christmas time already. And I'm extremely certain that in a short amount of time, in a few years, we're going to start decorating our home's Labor Day weekend. Because we love this, this feeling. So can we make Christmas longer, this season longer? Because we love how it, it makes us feel. Much of what we 
consider to be Christmas and what we relate to this time of the year is built and rooted upon our feelings. So let me explain it to you this way. If a week from today, next Sunday, which is December 25th, if we wake up and it's 80 degrees outside, what are we going to say? It don't feel like Christmas. Why? Because it's supposed to be cold on Christmas, apparently. Which is just a really bizarre thought, given that most of the planet is geographically situated in such a way that it can't be cold on December 25th. But thank you, White Christmas, the song. Thank you, White Christmas. Because of that song, we insist that there must be cold weather and snow on Christmas. And if there is, then it feels more like what? Christmas. So for me, you want to know what makes me feel the most Christmassy? Smoking a cigarette. What? What is that all about? All right, so let me explain what I mean by this. So my earliest memories of Christmas are from when I was six and seven years old. And when I was six and seven years old, our family lived in Honduras, which is where my mom was from. We, worked, we lived there for two years. So this is how they celebrate Christmas. On the 24th, on Christmas Eve, it is a shindig. And so my mom's family was particularly big. I mean, families get together on Christmas Eve. And there is a massive meal, multiple courses. And it's a party. Like, this isn't just dinner and go home. I mean, this is a, this is a throwdown, Latin-style kind of a throwdown. And so you're there all night. And at midnight, you go out and you light fireworks. And I don't mean firecrackers like we have here. I'm talking about weapons-grade ammunition, like C4 and dynamite. I'm not kidding you. Because back, I remember back then that there were stories every year uh, in the newspaper of people blowing off fingers, hands, and arms because there were explosives. So you got six, seven, 10, 12-year-olds running around lighting the demo charges, in essence, around the country. Well, the parents, and you can ask my mom and, and get on her about it, but the parents, they didn't give us matches. They gave us cigarettes because it's just easier to keep lit, right? So just imagine a nation full of six, seven, eight, 10-year-olds running around at midnight, middle of the night, lighting fireworks, ammunition, demo, explosives, puffing on Marlboros. So for me, what makes me feel most like Christmas is the smell of tobacco and gunpowder. That's Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Much of our feelings about Christmas, which is really what we think about, is actually based on expectations. When it comes to Christmas, it's about expectations. We look forward to Christmas morning with anticipation because that's when we do what? When we open up the gifts. That's when we open up the presents. So we have these eager expectations about what may be under the tree. If only I can get that certain cologne under the tree. That certain cologne, because according to the commercials, once I put on this cologne, my life is going to turn into a rave party. Is there anything more nonsensical than a fragrance commercial, by the way? Anyway, but according to the fragrance commercials, I put this stuff on and there's a rave party. <laughs> Like, it, I mean, it's nice. It's pretty cool. It's like a scene out of Zoolander. Like, all of a sudden, there's going to be models and celebrities. And I'm going to be hanging out with Chris Pine and Billy Zane, right? I want to smell like Matthew McConaughey, whatever that smells like. Like, it's like, all right, all right, all right. I mean, all, it's going to be, it's going to be special. And my romance life, whoo, I mean, next level because of how I now spell, smell, apparently. I mean, the commercials make it sound like all the answers to our problems are going to be underneath that tree. That somehow, whatever those gifts are, is going to remedy us or satisfy us. Much of the feeling of Christmas is actually wrapped up in false hope. That's right, you see what I did there? It's wrapped up in false, in false hope. The expectation that somehow we'll be satisfied by whatever it is that happens to be under that tree. And here's the question. What happens to us when we put our hope in things that can't deliver? What happens to us when we are now experiencing unmet expectations? What happens? Frustration, to say the least, right? Frustration is something that's birthed out of unmet expectations. 
So as we approach now this final week of this Christmas season, that's what I want to do today is actually reframe the way that we think of Christmas and celebrate Christmas so that we don't come next Sunday and open up stuff and then all of a sudden are filled with disappointment and frustration so that we can actually celebrate Christmas the right way. So with that, if you haven't done so already, turn in your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew. It's a text that was just read a little while ago. It's the first book of the New Testament. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, in Matthew, and we're just going to work down this story. And as you're turning there to Matthew 1, uh, I just I want to just frame it this way. Like, I, I want this season to be fun for all of us. It should be festive. We should have warm and fuzzies. That's all good. That's right. We just need to make sure that our expectations are rooted in the right thing. You should make sure that our expectations are rooted, grounded in the right thing. Ultimately, Christmas is about the kingdom of God. It's not just simply cute, swaddled up Jesus in a manger. No, it's, there's something much bigger at play. Christmas is about the kingdom of God. The day is coming when God is going to usher in his glorious, everlasting kingdom. And when he does that, he's going to take everything that is bad and wrong and corrupt and broken in this world, going to take all that, throw it in the dumpster, and replace it with perfect love and joy, kindness, mercy, and glory forever and ever. So, therefore, if that is true, Christmas ultimately is the celebration of our expectation of the better and brighter future God has promised. That's the right way to approach Christmas. It's the celebration of our expectation that God is going to be true to his promise. That he's going to usher in his kingdom, a kingdom that is only made possible through the birth of Jesus. So we're going to work our way down this story here and unpack it um, Look at verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So you have Mary, Joseph, we talked about this last week. They're betrothed. That does not mean that they're engaged. Betrothed means that they are legally married. The Jewish custom was a two-step process of marriage in at one point, they became betrothed, so there was a public ceremony that they enter into a formal agreement with witnesses, and they, at that point, they become, legally speaking, husband and wife. They're married. They're not just engaged. There's more than that. And, but the difference is that in the betrothal step or stage of marriage, they didn't live together yet. Which is why in verse 18 it says that before they came together, before they moved together, in other words, before they consummated the marriage. So it's during this betrothal stage that Mary is found to be with child. She's pregnant, right? Now, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Your wife who you're betrothed to but not li living with and haven't gone to the marriage bed with yet, finds herself pregnant. What's going to cross your mind? How are you going to feel in that moment? Talk about unmet expectations. Because here you have Joseph, who is actually a good guy. He's a good guy. He's a good man. He's trying to do the right thing the right way for the right reasons. He's, he's being try, wanting to be devoted to his wife. He's got these expectations about the kind of woman maybe he's married. He's like, man, I, I'm marrying a virgin. She's a good girl with good, good values. And, and I'm waiting until then. And apparently this woman that I married has no self-control whatsoever. I married a floozy. I married a tramp. I mean, that just that's what I would think. I mean, I'm sure most of us would think that in that moment. And, and it just would seem that that is now the cards that have been dealt. Unmet expectation, right? Unmet. And I think it's safe to assume that at this point, Mary has actually attempted to explain to Joseph what has taken place. Because in Luke chapter 1, we know that an angel had appeared to Mary before she had conceived and let her know that the supernatural power of God was going to overshadow her in such a way that miraculously God was going to speak a brand new life into her womb. Not through natural means, but through a supernatural interjection of God's power upon her. So she knows the deal. 
she's not going to hide it but for so long because at some point she starts showing. So it's going to come out, and I'm sure she probably just went on her own and said, hey, Joseph, guess what? I'm pregnant. So just put yourself in, in his shoes. He does not believe her. He does not believe her, and I don't think any of us would. Men, your wife comes up to you, says, I'm pregnant, and you haven't slept with her. What are you thinking? So here's my man. It's like, Joseph is thinking this. It's not just bad enough that I married an adulteress. She is out of her mind. She is, to quote the 90s poets, insane in the membrane and insane in the brain. She is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Like this, she is out of her mind. Think about it. God, oh yeah, like yeah, right. God, yeah, he put this life in your womb. Right, Mary, right. And I can just imagine the frustration and the disappointment, the public shame, the hurt, the betrayal of it all, the anger as a result. His world is imploding at this time. It's crumbling. Everything that he thought was going to be, uh, yeah, I thought I'm going to have this kind of life and this kind of marriage, but and all of a sudden, it's not turning out to be the way that he had hoped and dreamed and expected. And this is what happens when our life doesn't line up with our expectations. It's just anger, frustration, disappointment. And the reason I think that Joseph didn't believe Mary is because of what it says in verse 19. It says, and her husband, talking about Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So he knows she's pregnant. She's probably more than likely said it's because of God. And he's like, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. And so he proposes to divorce her quietly. It says that he's a just man. He's a good guy. Like, he, at this point, thinks he's married this insane, unfaithful woman. And he could return evil for evil. He could, if he wanted to, drag her name through the mud. He chooses the high road. So he said, you know what? I'm not going to make matters worse. I'm just going to take the high road. I'm going to divorce her. I'm just going to cut my losses, and I'm just going to move on. So this is, this is where he's at. And he's made up his mind that he's going to divorce Mary when all of a sudden an angel appears to him. And that's what we read in verse 20. It says, as he's considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So you've got to take a seat here on the emotional roller coaster that is Joseph's life at this point. One minute, he's thinking, I married a crazy woman. And it turns out, Crazy Mary ain't crazy. In one minute, he thinks that this crazy Mary is just an unfaithful floozy of a wife. She's telling the truth, and she hasn't cheated on him. She's been true to him. So imagine just the relief that this man feels in this moment. There is a problem, however, and that problem is this. His expectations have still been blown up. That fact is still true. His expectations have been completely blown up. The quaint, normal, quiet life he expected isn't going to happen. It's not going to take place. The only difference now is that he knows that it's not Mary's doing. At this point, he finds out who's really behind the undoing of his expectation, and it's who. It's God. It's God who's doing this to him, if you want to think of it in that type of language. Look at verses 21 and 22 and 23. Like, it's God that places this life within their womb, and it's not just any life. She's going to give birth to the Savior of the world. She's going to give birth to the Messiah, to this promised redeemer, this rescuer, this reconciler of all things, this, this prophes prophesied individual, this one who would be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So it's God who's absolutely at work doing something here, messing up 
what he thought were his good plans and expectations and hopes and dreams. And I do think that we tend to romanticize this. I said the same thing about Mary last week. I'll say it about Joseph this way. I think we romanticize this thinking that somehow in this moment, Joseph is just like, t- like floating. Oh, I'll accept your calling, God. This is no problem. I'm so devout and spiritual. I, I don't think that this was in any way an easy thing to accept or to embrace. You have to try to put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Are you a parent? Your parent? Yes, some of you are. Okay. Think about what you were thinking that first time that you found out you're pregnant, your wife is pregnant, and you're like, oh, we're going to have a kid. And instantly there becomes to be a bit of anxiety for some of us or pressure. I want to be a good parent. Or even once they're born and they're growing up and we're like, I want to raise them well in the right way. And I hear this from so many people. I don't want to mess them up. I don't want them to turn out like me. I don't want to do or say something that's going to wreck their heart or their mind or, or their life in any way. So there is an incredible pressure that we put on ourselves as parents, right, that we feel as a result. Imagine that you're going to parent the Messiah, like just an amazing pressure, not just mess up that kid's life, potentially mess up the life of everyone else on the planet, <laughs> If somehow you were to get squirrely and really make something really wonky, if that were possible, which is not. But anyway, so there's no way that what's being asked of Joseph is here. You're going to be dad to the savior of the world. What? And we know that it just turns out really difficult because as soon as Jesus is born, there is this local ruler, King Herod, that as soon as he hears of the birth of Jesus, tries to kill baby Jesus. And so then Joseph has to pack up the family and flee Dodge and head out of town and run into exile to save his skin. This was not Joseph's five-year plan to be a refugee in a different country. That wasn't his plan. to, To experience religious persecution, that that wasn't what he had hoped for in his life. And so for, Chris, for Joseph, Christmas was not a winter wonderland with, with candy cane forests and flying mammals. Without wings, by the way, which just makes it even more bizarre. But for him, it wasn't what we've created, the secular notion of Christmas. No, for Joseph, the birth of Jesus, for him, it meant a radical reorientation and transformation of his expectations. Everything that he thought would be true of his life now was on the table, and some of it would require being jettisoned. And that's not easy. That's not an easy place for us to get to. This is what Christmas is. Christmas is ultimately God drawing us out of the world and unto himself, to himself. Christmas is God inviting us to absorb into our life his plans and his desires and his purposes. It's God calling us to lay down our earthly kingdoms and to joyfully embrace citizenship in his and to take up the mantle of whatever role he has for us in his kingdom. Everything that God has done, is doing, and will do has one purpose, and that purpose is the establishment of his kingdom. He created the heavens and the earth in order to rule in wisdom and benevolence and kindness and mercy over all things. And he's a righteous king who desires the good of all of his subjects. He's nice. He's a nice and good, merciful king. His kingdom is a kingdom of light, of infinite quality and of beauty and of bliss and of peace. Everything that our heart aches for. That is the kingdom of God. But as we know, or some of us know, that back in the day in the Garden of Eden, we rebelled against this good king. We, we sinned against him, and through that one act, we, we rebelled against him, and we literally ushered in this other kingdom, this kingdom of death and darkness, into God's created order. 
But praise God that he is not a God who easily gives up. Like his plans are not easily thwarted. They cannot, in fact, be thwarted. And immediately after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God began a campaign to fix it. Like he wasn't done. He was going to restore his rightful and good rulership over all things. So in Genesis chapter 3, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, God made a promise. There's one who's going to be born of woman who's going to crush the enemy. Like right from the get-go, God said, there's going to be this one who is going to defeat the devil in death and darkness. Who, who, who is this one that would be born of woman? And then you move through the Bible and you see in Genesis chapter 5 that it's actually foretold that there would be one who would rise up out of the ground to bring rest and relief to humanity. A foreshadowing of the resurrection. Who is this individual who would rise up out of the ground? And you fast forward a few more pages to Genesis chapter 12, and God there makes a promise to this man named Abram that through his lineage, one would rise up, one of his descendants would rise and be the one who blesses all the families of the world. Who is this, this individual, this promised figure? And you keep going through the Bible, and you get to the rest of the Pentateuch and the, into Exodus, and you see that God's people are enslaved. They're in, in slavery to sin and under the tyranny of this oppressive ruler, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so God raises up a deliverer, Moses, to lead them out of bondage and out of tyranny. And then as you're reading there in the first few books of the Bible, you read a promise that God makes. He says, I'm going to bring another deliverer, one like Moses, but greater than Moses, who will bring us out of the tyranny of death and out of slavery to sin. Who is that greater deliverer? You keep going through the Bible and you, you stumble across 2 Samuel chapter 7. And there King David sits and he's king of Israel. And God makes a promise to him that if you put yourself in his shoes, like it would be hard to believe. God says, one of your descendants I'm going to place on an everlasting kingdom. He's going to sit enthroned over a kingdom that will have no end. Immortal, eternal kingship to one of David's descendants. Who, who is that king? And, and you go to Psalm chapter 8, and we read of this unique figure that for a little while would be slightly lower than the angels and who would ultimately be crowned with glory. This individual, this divine person is that for a while would, in essence, take on flesh and become man, but ultimately be exalted and glorified. Who, who is that figure? And you keep going through Scripture, and then you come to Isaiah 53, and you find out that this promised person, this king, is actually a suffering servant. A suffering servant who would bear our griefs, he would carry our sorrows, he would be crushed for our iniquities, he would be pierced for our transgressions, a foreshadowing of a crucifixion. And you keep going through the Old Testament and you get to Daniel chapter 3. And there's this divine individual that all of a sudden suddenly appears and he saves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fiery furnace. He saves them from death and fire. A picture of salvation. Who, who is this promised person that we read about everywhere as you go throughout the Old Testament. You know, the, the Jewish Bible, which is what we call Christians, what we call the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible doesn't end the way that our Old Testament does. Our Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi. The Jewish Bible doesn't end with that book. The Jewish Bible ends with Second Chronicles, which is actually kind of bizarre because from a historical chronological timeline perspective, it doesn't make sense for Second Chronicles to be at the end because in history it took place much earlier before the events of the end of that time. So, but here we go in, in Second Chronicle, in Second Chronicles, the very book, last book of the Jewish Bible, it ends with Cyrus, the king of Persia, the ruler of the most powerful 
kingdom on the planet, this ruler, he issues a decree and he calls all of God's people, all of the Jewish people to return home, to return to Israel, to return to Jerusalem, to rebuild the house of God, to rebuild a temple, a place of worship where God's people could gather and, and serve the Lord. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 23, the very last verse of the Jewish scriptures, King Cyrus says this, whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. The Jewish scriptures, in essence, end with a prayer. May God be with you. And you flip the page to our New Testament and you read on the very first page that that promise is answered. Jesus is born and his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. You can't make this up. You can't make this up. This is shocking. You see all of this taking place in the Bible. And then Jesus is born. And like I mentioned, as soon as he's born, this local king hears of his birth and he wants to have Jesus killed. Why? Because he's told that this little baby is going to be the king of the Jews. And so Herod doesn't want a competitor. He doesn't want a rival to his own little kingdom. So they have to flee, and they go to, to Egypt to flee from that. And so Jesus is spared from that death. He grows up, and he begins to preach. And so how would this king begin his ministry on earth? And Scripture tells us that it begins with these words. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. This theme of king and kingdom weaving its way. But the, the, the truth is that the people did not like the message. Because the truth is that them back then and much of us today and probably all of us today, we don't like the message of someone else's kingdom. We, want, we like the message of our own kingdom. So Jesus' message and his preaching conflicted against their own desires and their own expectations because they wanted their things, their way. Don't infringe upon my life. It's the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. You will be like God, they're told. If you eat of the forbidden fruit, you will be masters of your own domain. You will have, you'll be masters of your own kingdom. Here, it's the same thing. That's why they rebelled against him there. So they rebel against Jesus, and so people plot to kill him, to crucify him, thinking that this would get rid of the would-be king. And it just turns out that the very means by which they thought that they would end Jesus was the very means that God had planned would bring about his kingdom. It is through the death of Jesus that the kingdom of death is put to death. It is through the broken body and the shed blood of Christ that all things, Colossians chapter 1, all things are reconciled unto him. So it is through his sacrificial death on the cross that his rulership is restored. He's king. This is what it tells us in Philippians chapter 2. Though he was God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He became one of us. He became man. He took on flesh. And through that, he became obedient and obedient to the point of death and obedient to the point of death on a cross. And for that reason, to him was given the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He is the right and good ruler. Everything in Scripture goes this way, and you finally get to the last book of the Bible, and you see this person in his right place. Revelation chapter 5, verse 12 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He is the King of kings. He is the King of glory. He is God with us. On Christmas Day, what we celebrate is that God himself left heaven. 
came to earth, born of a virgin, wrapped himself in flesh. He became one of us, lived among us. He was tempted in every way, but never sinned. He goes to a cross in an act of love toward us to pay for our sin, to pay the debt of our moral failures, to take the judgment that we deserve, to take it upon himself, that we may be spared. And there he dies our death to shield us from all of that. He dies. He goes in the grave. On the third day, he rises again and walks out of that tomb. Jesus is the victorious lamb of God. And today, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, enthroned in his proper place, ruling over the cosmos. This is the story of Christmas. It is Jesus restoring his good and rightful rulership, but not only of the cosmos, more importantly, over our own hearts. Over our hearts. So, this is the truth that was revealed to Joseph. It opened it opened his eyes. He saw that there's something greater and bigger and more significant than just his life. He caught a glimpse of the greater things of God. And in essence, was amazed by the fact that this God Almighty would invite him to have this unique role within, within his kingdom. So like Joseph, we have the same decision to make today. Am I? Am I going to choose whether to hold on tightly to my expectations for my life or am I going to let go of my expectations for my life and embrace God's better plans for my life? Am I going to pursue the building up of my kingdom and my paneled house and my comforts and my this or that? Or am I going to pursue the kingdom of God and rejoice in having a place in his kingdom. And, and I know this, that we all have hopes and dreams, right? We, this is what we daydream about every day. We have hopes and dreams. Things that we fantasize about and, and plans and goals. And some of us that are more planners, we, we have our one year and our five year and our ten year plan. And if you're good at an interview, you get asked, where do you want to be in five years? I mean, we think about such things. I do, I always have. There are things that I've wanted in my life to be and conform to. You know, for me personally, I've never been much on new cars. And if I have one, great, but I don't care. If you give me one, cool, but I'm not going to go out and buy one. Like, and I've never been one on clothing, quite honestly. Like, I'm, I'm not a clothes horse. I mean, just not going to, that's just not my thing. Um, but the one thing that I've always, since I was young, always, always, always wanted and thought I would have. It's a spacious home with a lot of yard. Not necessarily a fancy home. I don't care about granite this or, you know, blah, blah, blah. I just want it to be spacious and lots of yard. And I just always knew growing up that this would be a reality in my life. And so a couple of weeks ago, a friend, friend of the family actually offered me and Jamie to sell us a house. More square footage than we currently have. Four times the acreage. At a price lower than what we paid for our current house. All right. Well, sign up, y'all. Help me move. Like, let's pack it up and let's get it over there. And it would be a completely no-brainer if not for this. And I've had two contractors come out just this past week. And it would take at least $100,000 to renovate the home. And I'm talking about just to bring it to a minimum to where it, okay, we can, we can put four, six people, four kids in this house, and it'd be comfortable. And I tell you, I have slaved. I slaved for several days. How do we make this happen? Because this is the dream house. This is the dream. This is what I've always wanted. And there would be plenty of yard. I could just see it now, the kids playing and their friends, and it would be so cool. And it'd be great. So I thought, I thought hard. I'm like, if, if Jamie gets a job, and if we sell one of the kids, <laughs> and then if the rest of us, if we give blood every week and make money that way, we could pull this off. 
We got this. We got this. And, and all jokes aside, quite frankly, I can make this happen very easily. Before I was in ministry, I was in medical cells. I can make this happen. I just go back to medical cells. I'll make more money than I'm making now. Probably be a lot less stressful. <laughs> I got this. I could do this. And so in the last two weeks, in particular last week, I had to kind of wrestle through this and finally come to this realization. That is not God's plan for my life. That is not my role in his kingdom. That is not what God has called me to. So in just the last few days, I had to pray what was an extremely difficult Christmas prayer for myself. My Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And it's hard. It's hard to let go of that stuff, especially when it seems like it's right there and, and you can maybe grab a hold of it. There are things that we want to be true of our lives, all of us. We want that good, easy job with the nice boss that plays a lot that we don't have to drive far to. And we want, or maybe to own our own business, and, but we want the nice house, the good marriage, the loving marriage, the good, respectful kids who grow up to be rich. We want the bank account, the security of it, or at least the ability to go on vacation and buy stuff. We want these things, but then all of a sudden, you come face to face with the birth of Jesus. And it orients, it reorients our expectations. And it's hard. Like, I'll be honest with you, I, it's... You know, I was telling Jamie, I said, this sermon doesn't feel very Christmassy. Talk about feeling Christmassy. But anyway, the truth is that there are a few things that's unsettling and frustrating as the transformation of our expectations. It can be the most painful, gut-wrenching thing to experience, to let go of dreams, not because the dream is in and of itself wrong or bad, but because it's just simply not what God desires for us. So this morning, the invitation is actually quite simple. Let's be like Joseph in this story. If you look at there at verse 24, it says, He did as the Lord commanded. In other words, he yielded his life to God's plans, to God's desires. And if we choose that life, and it should be the life that we choose, but if we choose it, we know that much of what we had hoped for will not come to pass. It just won't happen. But we should be glad, let's be glad to let it go, because we know that there's more joy in the kingdom of heaven than in any other possible kingdom that we may build upon this planet. We should be willing to let it go, to embrace the life that God calls us to, even if it means sacrificing some stuff, because we know that there is a God of glory who loves you, who delights in you, who will shepherd you, he will watch over you, he will bless you, he'll provide, he'll be there with you, he'll be for you, not against you, for you, walking with you every step of the way. And when you breathe your last breath in this life, he will take you personally by the hand and walk you into his kingdom, which makes anything on this planet pale by comparison. And I promise you this, that anything that you give up in this world for the sake of his kingdom, once you step into it, you will not miss it. You will not miss it. This Christmas, let's be like Joseph, and let's catch a vision for greater things beyond our little world and beyond our little kingdom, but the things of God, the greater things. God invites us to see and to do greater things in this world. So we are on this vision campaign as a church a vision campaign that we've entitled Greater Things. So this morning, y'all, I have a huge announcement to make regarding our Greater Things campaign. Are you ready? 
Are you ready for this? This is huge. Next month, January 2017, the Andrew Food Pantry is going to be moving into our building. And this, yeah, you should applaud and clap and say praise God. You should be ecstatic about this. Because we're in this season where we're trying to figure out, are we going to buy the building? Can we buy the building? Can we raise the money? Are we going to have a, a down payment? What's going to happen? Do we need to find something else? Is it here? We're trying to figure this out. And at the same time, and I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe in randomness. I believe that God is a God of order. So this is planned. That God, before we figured all of that out, has situated and given us, not any of the other churches, given our church specific opportunity to house the food pantry, which feeds over 900 people in Anger and surrounding areas every month. See, these are the greater things that I've been trying to scream at you for so long. That there's greater things in store. Let's catch a glimpse of what it is that God is doing. This is not accidental. Let this fuel the faith that is in us of what is before us. Send the letters, give the money, serve, get people here, grow the church, be a part of this. Be like Joseph, be all in. Be fully vested in what's going on. Be faithful to your calling in this ministry as a church. Be faithful to the vision of God to do the things to transform Andrew and beyond. I'm like utterly excited. This, in the midst of my heart breaking over the other situation, this, this gave me wind in my sails. What a vote of confidence from God and from our community, as a re- by the way. So I'll close with this. This season, let's enjoy it. The next few days, have fun. Sing the carols. I hope it's full of all kinds of yuletide goodness. I don't even know what yule means, but may you have lots of yuleness. Yuletide goodness in the next week. But just remember this, that our hope, our hope is not in what's under the tree. Our hope is in he who hung on the tree. Jesus came. He was born to die that we may have life. He came to get rid of all the sickness and the death and the depression and the despair and the brokenness and the sorrow and the tears and to jettison it into the eternal trash heap and replace it with perfect goodness by which we may be bask in the glories of his grace forever and ever. Jesus came to restore his kingdom and his rightful rulership. This is the gift of Christmas. So the question is, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? Are we going to be like Joseph? Are you going to be like Joseph? And just do as God has commanded. You know, we, I want to give us a minute or so, to bow our heads and close our eyes and to just reflect for a minute. Are there things that you're holding on to, expectations in your life, and I want this, God, and you're holding on to too tightly, that God is saying, you know what, it's time to let go of that because I have other things for you. We need to evaluate our lives. Am I seeking my kingdom or am I seeking first the kingdom of God? What are you going to do with baby Jesus? What are you going to do with his birth? What are you going to do with the fact that his kingdom is at hand and it is upon us? What are you going to do with the fact that God is opening up doors for our church, our young, small church? Are you going to be in? All in, fully vested like Joseph, and accept the difficulties, but knowing that God will be with you every step of the way. So I'm going to give you a minute right now. I want you to close your eyes, bow your head, and just reflect where you are. And do some business with the Lord and pray to Him. It may be that you need to confess and repent of just holding on to some things too tightly. Have you been overly busy with your own kingdom? Being one of those that says, oh yes, not yet, Lord, not yet. Tomorrow, next week, next year. When God's saying now, now is the time. Or maybe you're, you're here and this is the first time that you've heard of Jesus and this gift and uh, of an opportunity to receive grace and be forgiven. 
Like just where you are, you can just come clean before God and confess, God, I'm, I'm a sinner and I'm lost and, and I'm far from you and, and I want your grace and forgiveness, Lord. I, I ask that and I give my life to Jesus. I accept the cross. I accept the resurrection. And now I, I give myself to you. Is that you this morning? Gracious Father, we praise you for your omnipotence and we praise you for your wisdom and we praise you for your goodness and your grace. You could have left us in despair, in the miry pit of our lives, chasing our own tails. Lord, you could have left us just consumed by a rat race that does not satisfy, that cannot satisfy. You could have left us somewhere where we just pursue the things of this world and gifts and presents and stuff, Lord, knowing that it all breaks and will completely leave us frustrated and disappointed. You could have left us there, but you chose not to. You love us, and so you came down. You sent your Son that we may have life, that we may have hope, that we may lift our head and set our gaze upon the things that are heavenly and eternal, the things that matter. Lord, you came down that you may die, that you would pay for our sin, that we would be rescued out of that from its clutches and dominion and from its consequences. Uh, This Christmas we celebrate your love and the gift of your son, not just in a newborn baby, but ultimately in that crucified Savior and eventually in that resurrected Lamb and ultimately in that King who sits enthroned upon all. Lord, I ask that we would all embrace this message and this story, that we wouldn't just simply believe it, but that we would yield to it, that it would transform us, Lord, We give praise to you for we are not alone. For you, in fact, are God with us. In Jesus' name, amen.